Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, remember COVID? A couple of weeks ago, President Biden said this. The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's But the pandemic is over. Well, to verify that or not, I'm talking today to a distinguished epidemiologist. Eric Feigel-Ding is an American public health scientist, an epidemiologist and chief of COVID task force at the New England Complex Systems Institute, formerly a faculty member and researcher at Harvard Medical School and Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and the co-founder of the World Health Network. Dr. Ding, welcome to the show. I've noticed in in several kinds of news stories that um, the journalism profession tends to identify people as, quote, scientists, unquote, and leaves blank what their specialization might possibly be and what relevance it may have to the story. But um, one of the reasons I started reading you is that you weren't self-identified as a scientist. You were self-identified as an epidemiologist, which meant to me you probably know what you're talking about when it comes to this pandemic. So this came to your attention, what, January of? Yeah, January 2020 was when, you know, the Wuhan crisis started. And I, I have my ears to the ground of a lot of things in China. I was originally born there. Mm. And I'm an epidemiologist. So, I've, you know, a lot of the alarm bells have been going on inside our, our circle of how bad will this get? Is this a locally contained thing? And many, you know, academics are too shy to, to say what is on their minds, that this could be the biggest pandemic in over 100 years since the 1918 Spanish uh, flu pandemic. And in many ways, also, you know, there wasn't hard data. The thing is, many people didn't want to act until they absolutely know something is true. And then oftentimes in a pandemic, it's too late, right, to to act um fast in a pandemic is what is needed um but if you're going to sit on your butt until you know it's it's certain then uh it's going to be too late and you know between my you know epidemiology background and my contacts in china you know it was pretty obvious that china has lost control if china has lost control of the world is certain to lose control the moment it gets out of china and it had Mm -hmm. and so that's why i blew the whistle that trying to say that this is going to be the worst thing we've ever seen in over 100 years and millions of people will be infected and likely die and and that's exactly what happened unfortunately but of course you know people called me fear mongering and Mm -hmm. misinformation in the early days in january of 2020 but by the time it hit new york city in march and april i think that's when people actually woke up that man this is real right this is not just some far away disease in a faraway corner of the earth this is in front of us have you come to a conclusion as to the origin of the way that this uh, entered the human environment there's a lot of theories of you know man-made versus natural mm-hmm. i think there i think it's likely natural but i think what could still be is was it natural as in just naturally from bats crossed over to humans at a wet market or natural as in it's a natural virus but it slipped out of containments in a lab somewhere 
but it's not engineered in any way. It's just, you know, they were doing testing on it, which is very common, and it slipped out. I, I'm not sure, but I think it's likely natural. There, we haven't seen any evidence that it's bioengineered in any way, and I definitely want to downplay any of those theories until there's actual rock-hard evidence. And my ears are open, but in many ways, the evidence clearly suggests it's a natural origin but regardless the issue is we're actually by letting the virus infect the world we're actually allowing the virus to evolve and to be better adapted to humans than any engineered virus could be because after billions and billions of people have been infected the virus is now very very fine-tuned and honed in on our physiology and how to evade past infection and now it's getting evasive that it's also starting to evade vaccines, the first generation of vaccines we had. And that's why I encourage people to get the new updated uh, vaccine, bivalent vaccine. But this is the, the, the virus after two and a half years is perfected itself in many ways in infecting humans. And that's why I'm really worried of, of what the future may hold, because many people are now asleep at the wheel. You know, people now saying pandemic is over. Even our president said mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, his own coronavirus team says, no, 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 it's not. But even if his own staffers are saying, no, 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 it's not, the cat's out of the bag. The president has said it. And many COVID minimizers, COVID deniers, um, anti-vaxxers are now winning this message of, oh, COVID is over, nothing to worry about. And this is the worst time to do it because... We have one window right now to get people vaccinated before the winter surge comes. And this winter surge is bad. Between COVID and flu, we're going to have a really bad flu season because Australia has had a really epically bad flu season as well. Um, you know, hospitals are already filling up. Pediatric hospitals, uh, ICUs are also filling up already now as we speak. You know, fever medications are sold out in, in many states and uh, in Canada as well. So I think we're, we're in a really bad shape and minimizing and saying COVID is over is going to harm us a lot in the long run. As I read uh, public journalism, uh, there's already a, a, the beginning of a spike in Europe and there are new variants appearing on the scene. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, it's now become an alphabet soup. Um, they're all mostly Omicron subtypes, but the, the subtypes have now diverged into this huge potpourri of different varieties. And all of them, most of them have actually shown extreme amount of evasiveness against prior infection immunity and prior vaccination immunity. Again, this is the, this is the product of what happens when you let the virus spread unchecked through billions of people. Because yes, most people don't die. But for every person infected, and, and, and the virus further mutates to learn how to best you know, adapt to this person and infect the next person and adapt to that person and infect the next person. And that's why we have this potpourri. You know, there's groups of people who are now giving informal uh, names 
like uh, Cerebris and you know Hydra and and other because like the the governments have stopped naming them. You know they basically gave up naming beyond Omicron. Mm. But right now the new variants are so much further from Omicron than Omicron ever was from the original virus mm. that we're in like a different league. Like we're if if we properly named these new variants by greek letters we would already be out of letters we would be beyond omega and and that's the biggest worry because some of these variants are so evasive that you can get infected even after uh, being boosted you can get infected definitely after um, past infection and people i think forget that you know unless you give it a new name people think that oh i previously got covid Mm -hmm. i'm therefore immune Mm -hmm. that's not true anymore you were previously infected by a prior variant that you're now immune again for a short period against that previous variant but these new subvariants are so so night and day different that i think we're going to be in a huge uh, dangerous wake-up call whenever winter comes and these variants are surging which they already are do we know yet if these are more virulent or more likely to kill more likely to to have serious impacts on the, the the human system we don't know that exactly we know that they're more evasive against your immune system therefore more likely to infect you mm. and i want to remind people there's you know there's severity and then there's contagiousness and if if i had to choose two worlds of a, ver- a virus that's more severe less contagious or more contagious and less severe between these two which is the worst uh, virus that will kill more people and send more people to the hospital and maim people with long covid it is almost always the more contagious virus that's less severe and remember last year when during the first omicron wave you know after thanksgiving you know december january when tons of people got infected you know there was this oh omicron is mild Mm -hmm. it's mild well it's not really that much milder it's actually more severe in kids by the way so more kids have actually died um since last december than all the preceding two years combined but this issue of the mild is so misleading because yes less people died in the omicron wave per capita but actually more people just as many people died in that wave as as some of the many uh, pr- uh, other prior waves because it was so contagious and if you balloon the denominator of people infected that will ultimately send more people to the hospital and and that's part of epidemiology it's the math you just you know, surge number of people infected, exposed to something, and that is ultimately what will drive a more infections and b more hospitalizations and deaths, and of course, long COVID, which is right now very, very prevalent. Yeah, I want to talk some more about long COVID in a minute, but a couple more dumb questions. So, um, is the main uh, avenue for these new? variants still the spike protein or has it changed even that method of approach yeah so the mutations are mostly mutation in the spike protein because spike protein is the main mechanism for which the virus attaches to our cells and has a lock and key access basically the spike protein is figured a lock and key access into one of our receptors 
also, if we have immunity, uh, as in we recognize, say, the prior old Wuhan strain or the old Alpha or Delta variant, mm-hmm. our antibodies don't target the new uh, variants that well and therefore evade and therefore can still get into our bodies uh, and our cells and then multiply and you know become a virus factory. It's still the spike protein, but the, the issue is that you know whether there's other parts of the virus we can target, perhaps someday develop a pan-coronavirus vaccine. That is something we can um, potentially still exploit. But it's a game of whack-a-mole that you know you de- you design something that adapts to this spike. The spike mutates because it learns from again millions of people infected that uh, the better way is to. You know, dodge dodge antibodies like that, and so it's it's a dodgeball game right now, and the virus is winning because we can't a vaccinate in people fast enough, and infection based immunity is a very dangerous game, and um, the the mutations are just coming out are just we we know that they're evasive because we've done lab tests that people's prior infections and prior vaccinations don't protect you from these new variants these new variants are as as foreign as like the other coronaviruses from like 20 years ago so i think this is why people just have to realize even if you don't think that you're going to go to hospital that by you transmitting it and more people getting infected that will ultimately send more people hospital think of a highway uh four-lane highway the vaccine and the other immunity, uh, you know, shuts down two lanes of the four-lane highway. But now that people think that they're immune, they think they're invulnerable, now they're going to put more traffic across this highway, right? The bridge mm-hmm. is not going to collapse most mm-hmm. of the time, but you're sending more people across this highway, and in many ways that increases the exposure and will ultimately get more people sick. And that's the biggest worry, especially once the fall is gone right now there's a lot of outdoor activities because it's not too hot not too cold but once the winter comes people gather inside that's when these super spreading outbreaks are going to happen again and and we know it's going to happen because it happens every winter whenever the weather gets cold the air gets dry and the virus spreads more easily well do we know how many people have died because of uh, the various strains of COVID-19? Yeah, so globally, as of like six months ago, the WHO, uh, I'm on the WHO, um, um, we estimate at least 15 million, but that's an underestimate. And The Economist's latest update is well over 20 million, closer to 25 million. And that number is going to go up 25 million fatalities, excess deaths. So excess pandemic deaths um, are in the range of over 20 um, million and approaching 25 million soon. We know this. In the United States, uh, excess deaths uh, was already like over a million. Like, you know, we hit a million officially in, I think, April or May. But we were already over a million in excess deaths by January of 2022. And uh, right now, we're probably in the 1.2, 1.3 million excess deaths. And it's only going to go up again. You know, we're in the lull before the mm-hmm. storm. And, um, you know, people have said it before. If you think about it, in April 2021, after the vaccines came out, it was, the spring weather came out. 
cases were really low. Deaths were really low. And that's when CDC says masks aren't needed. We don't need it. And boom, voila, the Delta variant hit. And a lot of people died, like especially in the South where um, people weren't vaccinated. Um, I think, you know, people argue or not, oh, did Florida have excess deaths? If you time it by after people got had chance to get vaccinated florida excess deaths was really really high one of the highest in the country because florida had one of the lowest vaccination rates compared to other states um and new york had high deaths but early pandemic before the vaccine came out um but you know people dropped their guard thinking oh cases are low hospitalizations and deaths are low in april 2021 we don't need masks and of course, what happens, the Delta variant comes and kills a lot of people. And I want to remind people that the Delta variant in India, after India had a wave previously, they thought India was a herd immunity. And then in India, uh, three to five million people died within three or four months uh, from the Delta variant where it originated. So, you know, the, the, the amount of minimization really gets people killed. And people can say, oh, we're vaccinated now, but you know, you're vaccinated, most people are vaccinated against the original strain. These new strains are light years, light years different than anything you had before. And that's the biggest worry. And there's no booster campaign for the new bivalent uh, vaccine yet. Like the latest report shows half of Americans haven't even heard of it. And only about four or 5% of Americans have gotten the bivalent booster shot which is abysmally low, and only a third of children are even two-shot vaccinated, not to mention boosted. So we're in a world of hurt. When you say bivalent, this is a vaccine that attacks both the Delta and the Omicron strains? The, of, it, it, uh, it attacks the BA5 mm-hmm. uh, variant. The BA5 variant at the current moment is still the dominant variant in the United States and worldwide but it's quickly being displaced by these new variants but the ba5 is at least closer uh, genetically to these new variants than the old vaccine which is the wuhan 1.0 spike protein mm-hmm. if you think about it all our vaccines prior to these new bivalents are basically the old wuhan spike protein virus and we are generations leap years um, beyond the old Wuhan strain. That's like an ancient strain now that doesn't exist. It's extinct. Mm. Even the Delta variant is extinct now almost. But BA5 um, <laughs> is a dominant strain, but most people are not immunized from from BA5. You know, uh, even in last spring when people had, you know, there's, remember the, the White House Correspondence Center and the, you know, the gridiron outbreaks mm-hmm. and many of the outbreaks in the in April, May, that was BA2. <laughs> That's that's also extinct. The BA2 strain is also extinct. We have to get on what is currently happening. And unless people have this update mentality that, you know, viruses have, you need software upgrades uh, for your antivirus software, right? Mm-hmm. We need We need an upgrade. But no one has been advocating that you need to patch your, you know, software upgrade, just like you do for uh, to protect against viruses on your iPhone or PC mm-hmm. or laptop. Uh, I started reading about uh, another vaccine that has uh, apparently been or is nearing approval uh, in this country that is not an mRNA vaccine called Novavax. 
Right. It's approved already. Ah. Novavax is approved. And if you go to vaccines.gov, you can actually search for what places have Novavax. It's very limited. And the problem is, officially, Novavax is authorized as a two-shot primary series vaccine. It's not officially authorized as a booster. So, which means the only people who can, quote-unquote, technically get the uh, Novavax are people who've never been vaccinated before. And in this day and age, if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, you're pretty much a pretty anti-vax or vaccine hesitant that it's it's very hard to get you vaccinated. But the Novavax potentially has more broader coverage um, against the variants than just the mRNA. Now, the problem is the better thing right now, I'd say, is to get it as a booster for those who previously got the old vaccine, uh, the mRNA. But officially, it's not officially it's not authorized for that purpose. But there's many people who are doing it. So if you are savvy, you can go and find the Novavax using the vaccines.gov search tool and, you know, talk to your doctor or pharmacist and see if you can get it. Um, that's that's Novavax because it's a different uh, it's a different protein-based vaccine. It's potentially better against all uh, against newer variants, but of course, it's not widely tested against all the newer variants. But in the variants so far we've seen, it has better coverage than again than the old Wuhan 1.0 mRNA. But the new bivalent uh, mRNA vaccine that's currently rolled out is really good against the newer variants, and so I rec- really recommend people get the newer booster shot. Um, if it's available, um, and it is widely available in the U.S. So let's move to the subject uh, that, frankly, personally, has always been the most disturbing part of this whole phenomenon, which is so-called long COVID. Um, Washington Post, um, about a month ago, ran a a story that um, supposedly cataloged many of the known symptoms of long COVID and at the end of a long list came the one that sort of (laughs) got my attention brain shrinkage yeah I don't think America needs more of that yeah seriously Um, the studies on long COVID are very worrisome Um, it shows that affects not just neurological but cardiovascular um, and many other uh, diseases, but the neurological effects affects 44 different neurological diseases, according to one of the latest studies. Um, and again, it's peer-reviewed, so it's reliable. But we're talking about early dementia, Alzheimer's, br- not, brain fog, mm-hmm. tremors, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, brain swelling, cephalitis. We're talking about a lot of neurological and psychiatric diseases has also been shown to be diagnosis is higher after COVID um, and many months. And of course, heart attacks and strokes, uh, these risks stay elevated even after more than 10 weeks after your COVID has receded. Um, And we're talking about 30, 40% higher risk of heart attacks and strokes, which is incredibly a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, for example, in, in, uh, in, in September, we actually estimated what is the, uh, you know, what is the top causes of deaths 
um, besides, you know, long COVID aside, you know, COVID is actually still number um, number two, mm-hmm. and and it's contributing to a lot of other heart attacks and strokes. And we still think um, long COVID is affecting a huge swath of diseases. And in terms of employment, you know, a lot of people are asking, well, "Where's all the workers?" Mm-hmm. Well, the worker workforce participation is at a really, really low level in the U.S. and the U.K. where they've done labor studies. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about Federal Reserve and Treasury Departments and labor departments worried about this because a lot of workers are just not coming back into the workforce because they're not feeling well enough to work. And a lot of that is due to long COVID. Um, it's, you know, the wages are really high right now. Uh, trying Businesses are trying to get workers, but they're not coming back. And they're trying to lure people back, but they're not coming back because of the debilitating effects of long COVID. And I think that is something that we can't discount. It's like this invisible mm-hmm. effect of people say, oh, COVID mitigations are hurting airline business and tourism. Well, I would say like the, the economic impact of long COVID is much worse much worse and it's not just affecting those who are in the 60s and 70s or people who are retired again COVID has this uh assumption by many minimizers that it's just affecting the elderly and young people are immune to COVID and we quickly recover that's just not true uh, there's actually a british study that shows the iq deficit of COVID if you're you know, on a ventilator, you lose seven points after you recover, assuming you recover. But if you're hospitalized, you lose five, if assuming you weren't ventilated. But even if you weren't hospitalized, you lose anywhere from three to four points if you have some moderate symptoms, and one to two points if you had mild uh, symptoms. And to put that into perspective, you know how like we don't let kids eat lead paint <laughs> we don't let kids drink leaded water and the you know the big scandal in flint with with leaded water mm-hmm. well lead poisoning in kids is the equivalent of two points mm. of iq loss mm. if we don't allow our society to have two points of iq loss in our children and adult population by the way um why do we allow long covid uh, and covid infection to sweep through our society and just wave it off and like, oh, you'll recover, it'll be all good, get back to work. No, the, the debilitating effects of long COVID is much worse, and it's and it's not just rare. It's it's anywhere from 15 to 20 to 30 percent of the population, depending on your age group. Um, but it is it is a huge swath of your population, and to have IQ loss, even if it's like two points, is something that we shouldn't allow our, ourselves to accept in society. And we don't for lead paint, leaded gasoline, leaded water. But with COVID, oh, it's totally fine. And that this kind of like um, hypocrisy and minimization dismissiveness is something that's just absolutely abominable. There is, uh, as I understand it, no organized attempt to deal with trying to find a pardon the expression cure for long covid or is there well there's certain theories right now that is is long covid like a permanent damage or temporary 
or is it also like some hit the virus still being hidden in your body somewhere that your body hasn't fully cleared yet mm -hmm. and it's still disrupting your systems at a low level because um, some viruses stay in your body for many years as you know by the way you know some some warts some cold sores they're all viruses mm -hmm. uh, that crop up every once in a while because they're still inside your body and they can live in your neurological systems um, over a long time because your immune system basically in your in your brain uh, in your neurons the cns system is very separated from the rest of your body and your body can't easily clear clear it mm -hmm. so there's think thinking that maybe there could be treatments in the future. They're still developing this. Again, there's no official long COVID cure or treatment yet, but um, we're we're still trying to develop uh, treatments for this. There's also a new generation of nasal vaccines. Nasal hmm. vaccines being that they think nasal vaccines will prevent infection better than these intramuscular sh vaccine shots that we've been all been getting. And nasal vaccines could also potentially penetrate in more areas than than just muscular vaccines as well so we don't know whether it's a matter of eradicating these hidden uh, virus that's our regular immune system hasn't been able to access or if we can repair some of these damage long term this is like the big mystery and i think this is where a lot of our research needs to go to because the, the debilitating uh effects of long COVID on our population is something that's going to drive up healthcare costs for many, many, many years to come. And of course, you know, uh, hamper the labor force and the workforce and the productivity of everyone else. So the elephant in the room, finally, is, of course, all of the um, discussion from the uh, anti-vax point of view. And um, a, a person I've I've known for years has turned out to be one of the major spokespeople for that in um, another country. And they're claiming that media and uh, other media are uh, soft peddling the information, supposedly, that there are a uh, lot of deaths being caused by the mRNA vaccine. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think that's uh, not supported epidemiologically um, because, first of all, you have to f look at what is the total net effect. Are we talking about getting vaccinated infected or, or unvaccinated infected? And COVID will always kill uh, more and damage more people if you're infected with COVID. And vaccines will reduce your risk of uh, infection to some degree. Um, again, to some degree depends on the variant. Mm -hmm. And of course, will dramatically reduce your risk of going to the hospital and of course, dramatically reduce your risk of dying. Now, is there some sometimes ele uh, elevated risk of blood clots? Yes, sometimes. And we've, we've mostly stepped away from a lot of these adenovirus vaccines. And is there some a small increase in myocarditis yes but very small and myocarditis is not a severe outcome it's a it's a mild outcome uh, compared to all the other things that covid causes uh where heart attacks and strokes and whatnot and epidemiologists have been studying excess deaths for years and for example excess deaths in children you can't say that that's vaccines because 
Most kids didn't even get vaccines until recently. And most of the excess deaths were actually prior to vaccines even being approved for the youngest kids. Mm -hmm. And we see that excess deaths and that's from COVID. And, you know, in terms of partitioning, what is excess deaths from COVID or vaccines? It is COVID, definitely. We're talking, the difference between someone who's boosted and someone who's unvaccinated, we're talking about 10, 20x difference in deaths, as in those who are unvaccinated have 10, 20, and in some situations, certain age groups, 30x difference in the risk of dying. And we just completely ignore the excess deaths of those who are actually infected with COVID. So those who emphasize these these anti-vaxxers who emphasize the risk of vaccine, they almost always conveniently ignore the risk of actual infection from the actual COVID virus, from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And I think that's where, you know, people will cherry pick numbers to show there's excess adverse risk from the vaccine. That's no, that is incredibly, credibly low. And they also try to like distort and say, look, oh, the pandemic, all these excess deaths, that's vaccine deaths. No, most of these deaths we've actually looked up. If you actually look at the data, beyond just of media COVID deaths, you look at the excess deaths of those who had died from 30 to 90 days, two months and three months. These excess, if you just count those who previously got COVID, 30 to 90 days after, COVID explains all these excess deaths. And of course, if a hospital gets overwhelmed and someone with a heart attack can't get to the hospital, I would say that's a COVID pandemic excess deaths that's due to COVID overwhelming hospitals and still due to the virus indirectly. So altogether, we know that the vast majority of excess deaths is actually COVID or indirectly COVID. And if you just count up those, not just the immediate 30 days we died of COVID, um, but but from you know 30 to 90 days, basically all that excess deaths is, is basically explained by COVID infection, not by vaccination. And so there's so much data I could walk you through, but those who are anti-vax will cherry pick the data to suit their needs. And the latest is, is Florida's analysis, which is, incredibly flawed it's not peer-reviewed and has been widely criticized by epidemiologists and uh, public health scientists across the board as being a completely flawed and cherry-picked analysis but but again the narrative of those who want to believe in the anti-vax narrative it's it they're naturally a very how should i say it sometimes gullible to a lot of these cherry-picked data because, you know, epidemiology is complicated. It's a very complicated mathematical uh, science. And those who want to see or believe that vaccines are dangerous, they will follow these crazy uh, misinformation uh, peddlers um, and unfortunately follow to their their deaths or follow them to, to their own detriment with long COVID. Dr. Ding, it's uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh, and to ask these questions, some some dumber than others. Um, as I say, I, I read you on Twitter, and um, 
I'm not a big chart person, but you you certainly fill your feed with um, uh, an, an awful lot of hard information in both verbal and visual form. So I, I recommend it. It's something where I guess as winter comes, we're all going to get uh, a head full of all this stuff again. I mean, informationally. And I appreciate you sort of preparing us for that. And yeah. um, thanks for your time today. Thanks. Stay safe, everyone.
from Southern California. This is Le Show, and now... Here's a uh, statement from the Portland Thorns, a female soccer team. The Portland Thorns were created to be a beacon of what is possible in women's sports. Today I'm holding myself accountable for not doing enough. The Thorns players and the league, my tireless effort to actively make sure what happened in 2015 never happens again. I apologize to our players, the organization, and the Portland community for the mistakes we made, including not being publicly transparent about the coach termination. Our organization's failures and mistakes were ultimately my responsibility. This is Merritt Paulson, the CEO of the team. It's devastating me. My goal of creating the shining example of what a woman's sports team could be has now become synonymous with abhorrent and predatory behavior. Part of me holding myself accountable is recognizing that someone else needs to take the reins of the organization and operational decision-making. Effective immediately, I'm removing myself as CEO and announcing a global search for a CEO of the organization. All right. If you want to go to Portland, Stanford President Mark Tessier Levine has apologized on behalf of the university and pledged to act on recommendations of a task force report that identified efforts to limit admission of Jewish students to Stanford in the 1950s. They didn't know about that? Should have asked my mom. In findings released Wednesday, a task force appointed by Tessier Levine reported that Stanford administrators took steps to limited admissions of Jewish students in the 1950s and, quote, regularly misled parents and friends of applicants, alumni, outside investigators, and trustees who asked about such practices. The task force also provided a number of recommendations, both to address actions by past administrators and to support the university's Jewish community today. What there is of it, especially in light of the panel's findings. They called on the university to acknowledge and apologize for the admissions practices and subsequent denials in the past. And the task force recommended enhanced education and training to address biases, greater attention to Jewish religious observances in university scheduling, housing, and dining, and clarification of the university's relationship with Stanford Hillel. In a university-wide communication, Tessier Levine apologized, in fact, on behalf of the university and pledged action on the recommendations. This ugly component of Stanford's history, confirmed by this new report, is saddening and deeply troubling, said the president. On behalf of Stanford University, I wish to apologize to the Jewish community and to our entire university community, both for the actions documented in this report and for the university's denials of those actions in the period that followed. These actions were wrong, they were damaging, and they were unacknowledged for too long." Maverick Carter, the CEO of the company that makes the uh, show called The Shop, has publicly apologized to the show's guests and crew following the recent appearance by Kanye now, yay, West. Maverick has confirmed the scheduled episode not going to air 
because the rapper used the platform to, quote, reiterate more hate speech and extremely dangerous stereotypes, unquote. Maverick also shared his regret over booking Yee for the talk show, which is hosted by LeBron James. He said he mistakenly believed the rapper was, quote, capable of a respectful discussion, unquote. Unfortunately, says Maverick, talking about Yee, he used the shop to reiterate more hate speech and extremely dangerous stereotypes. We've made the decision not to air this episode or any of Kanye's remarks. While the shop embraces thoughtful discourse and differing opinions, we have zero tolerance for hate speech of any kind. I take full responsibility for believing Kanye wanted a different conversation and apologize to our guests and crew. Hate speech should never have an audience, unquote. LeBron was reportedly not present at the taping, where Ye used his appearance to double down on his recent expressions of anti-Semitism, including his tweeted wish to go, quote, Death Con 3 on Jewish people. Jewish people, all in capital letters. He was also banned from Instagram after he shared a screenshot from a conversation where he claimed that Diddy, a.k.a. Sean Combs, was being manipulated by Jewish people. He got more controversy last week when he debuted shirts with the phrase White Lives Matter at Paris Fashion Week. He also uh, appeared on the Tucker Carlson show which included further anti-Semitic comments from Ye and a claim that fake children had been put in his house to sexualize and manipulate his kids. He sounds healthy to me. The Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency is in damage control mode after a launch of its Epsilon rocket was terminated with a self-destruct command this week. Epsilon is Japan's small, cheap launch platform. A solid fuel-powered craft can carry payloads totaling 590 kilograms into orbit. You figure it out. It's designed for low-cost operations and an ability to carry several small satellites on each launch. The Wednesday launch was Epsilon 6. Eight satellites came along for the ride, two of them commercial payloads. None of them made it into orbit. Japanese press report the rocket veered off course while its first stage was firing. Mission scientists decided the craft could not enter orbit, so they sent the self-destruction message around 10 minutes into the flight. Japan hadn't lost a rocket since 2003. This failure is concerning because it was just the fifth flight of the Epsilon launcher and was designated an innovative satellite technology demonstration. Keiko Nagaoka, Japan's Minister of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology, there's a portfolio, apologized on behalf of the space agency for not meeting the expectations of the Japanese people. The ministry he leads has launched a task force to determine why the failure happened. ESPN's Troy Aikman made waves this week when discussing NFL's hypersensitivity to roughing the passer penalties. Quote, my hope is the competition committee looks at this in the next set of meetings and, you know, we take the dresses off, he said. The comment oozes, according to NBC Sports, with casual misogyny, implying that women are weak and men are tough. Aikman apologized for the comments during a Thursday appearance on a sports radio show. 
I mean my comments were dumb, he said. Just shouldn't have made them. Just dumb remarks on my part. I guess, quoting Herschel Walker, he's just not that smart. CNN has removed a report and apologized after two of its journalists entered the Thailand Child Care Center recording inside the crime scene there. The journalists were detained after the incident, though they were later, later cleared and no charges were pressed. CNN officials said in a statement that he sought permission from the Thailand Health Department officials, but these officials were not authorized to grant this permission. If this team had understood the building and its rooms were off-limits, they would not have entered. And finally, Los Angeles City Council President Nuri Martinez has resigned from her position after she and two other council members were recorded making racist remarks. In the end, she says, it's not my apologies that matter most. It will be the actions I take from this day forward. I hope you will give me the opportunity to make amends. Unquote. And she resigned, as I say, from the council. The Los Angeles Times reported that she called a black child a little monkey. The uh, NAACP chapters also called on two other Latino members of the council, as well as the president of the Los Angeles County Federation of Labor, also involved in the taped conversations to resign. The uh, labor representative suggested that another city council member puts his young son out in public like a lawn jockey. Those were the racist statues used to invoke the antebellum South. Martinez also heard making fun of indigenous people from the Mexican state of Oaxaca, who have recently migrated to Los Angeles. She referred to them as, quote, short little dark people, unquote, and called them ugly. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is our friend, our very good friend, the Adam. EDF, uh, the French energy giant, warned last May that nuclear electricity production this year would be lower than previously forecast because half its reactors are out of action. The timing couldn't have been worse thanks to its nuclear industry. France is usually Europe's biggest net exporter of electricity. The closures turned the country into a net power importer for the first time, according to The Economist, just as the continent faced, as you know, an energy crunch, partially because of uh, Russian attempts to uh, mess with the natural gas pipeline that goes into Europe. Last month, EDF announced that even by 2024, output will still be well below normal levels. France's current nuclear troubles, partly due to the routine maintenance of the country's 56 reactors, half of which are about 40 years old. Why, that's a second childhood, isn't it? Each aging reactor needs periodically to be shut down on a rotating basis for inspection, and, it you know, they're hard to rotate. During the pandemic, scheduled maintenance was interrupted by lockdowns. The real crunch, though, came after corrosion issues were detected late last year at one reactor. By last month, no fewer than 25 reactors were out of action, 10 for routine maintenance, the rest for corrosion analysis and repairs. Uh, the new French administration has uh, pivoted away from 
de-emphasizing nuclear power in its energy portfolio, but uh, the new reactors authorized will take many years to come online. It's a slow thing to build a nuclear reactor, it turns out. Industry bosses and politicians, here's a surprise, blame each other. News of our friend, the Atom. And finally... News of the Godly. The head of a lay committee looking into historic child sex abuse in the Portuguese Catholic Church said this week the problem in the past had been, quote, widespread, unquote, and on some occasions reached, quote, truly endemic proportion, unquote. Pedro Strecht, a psychiatrist, well, no wonder, who heads Portugal's Independence Committee for the Study of Child Abuse in the Catholic Church, said the panel has completed and compiled a list of 424 alleged victims. Before the committee started its work in January, senior church officials had claimed that only a handful of cases had occurred. Hmm. The panel, created by the Portuguese Bishops' Conference, is looking into alleged abuse from 1950 to the present, involving minors aged 2 to 17, Its uh, full report comes out this January. Information obtained so far indicates that, quote, a significant number of Catholic Church priests and members allegedly have committed sex abuses since 1950. That uh, was what Strecht told the news conference in Lisbon, adding the problem not only existed, it became widespread. He said the further back in time his panel went, it found serious situations that lasted for decades, and in some cases reached truly endemic proportions. The victims were both boys and girls, although most were boys, he said. Some alleged abusers were named by more than one victim. Hundreds of abusers have been identified, Strex said. The alleged abuse, pardon me, includes indecent exposure, penetration, and images of abuse. The statute of limitations has expired on most of the allegations. Apart from those, 17 complaints have been forwarded to the Portuguese Attorney General's office, Another 30 may still be sent. No names are being published, although a confidential annex of all the names of church members reported to the committee will be included. That'll be sent to the bishops' conference and to the police. Hey, let's get the police involved. What a concept. Strex said the panel had no information about any abuses committed by foreign priests. A senior Portuguese Catholic Church official who'd been named in investigations involving alleged cover-ups of priest sex abuse said this week his conscience is clear. Head of the Portuguese Bishops' Conference, Bishop José Ornelas, denied any wrongdoing or improper conduct in the cases from 2011 to 2014. He also presides over the shrine at Fatima. I'm not worried, he said. He conceded about what happened years ago that, quote, these kinds of cases are handled differently now, unquote. He didn't elaborate. He said there was no cover-up in uh, cases being investigated now by the Portugal Attorney General's office after supposedly he covered up for abuser priests in Mozambique, a former Portuguese colony. It shames everyone, Onelis said of the alleged abuse, admitting, quote, the church isn't perfect, and I think it never will be, unquote. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. Bless you. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these same radio stations and at the time of your choice on the audio device of your choice. It's all up to you. I'm just your humble servant. Well, not that humble. And it would be just like me being humble if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to Pam Halstead, Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans, and the San Diego desk for contributing to this show. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of the music here, all and so much more at harryshearer.com. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>